I pray that uh, you sense that God is glad you are here as well, because I believe he is. Now I have a friend who's an artist and Christmas is her favorite time of the year because she loves to make these special, unique, different, never seen before, one of a kind, absolutely perfect for the person gifts for the really important people in her life. And this year she had ideas. Oh, did she have ideas? She had lots of ideas, but she has a problem. Actually, a couple problems. She doesn't have the energy, the mobility, or the endurance to make these special, unique, different, special, never-seen-before, one-of-a-kind, amazing gifts. And so she really doesn't know what to do. I mean, sure, she could buy presents. It's not about the gifts or the money, though. It's more than that. She wants to keep Christmas from becoming this costly commercial venture, and so she sees herself this year sitting before herself, by herself, wondering like the little drummer boy song, well, what do I have to give? I can relate. I have this love-hate relationship with Christmas presents. I mean, I love to give presents that the other person likes to get, that, you know, when you get it just right, and I hate to give presents that are dud presents. You know, the ones that the other person unwraps and goes, oh, you shouldn't have, really. Or, or oh, thank you so much. It's the thought that counts. Like, I want my gift to make the other person feel absolutely special, feel like I chose the right thing, did the right thing, picked the right thing, wrapped the right thing, and just nailed it. And I can't control how the other person receives it. I just realized before I got up here, I'm like, I think I left one of the gifts for this really special person in my life in the car, unwrapped. Fail. But where does this gift-giving ritual come from? And why do we feel so compelled to do it? So if you want to take your smartphone out, you can Google it. Just kidding, you don't have to. I did. Um, There's lots of different things out there. But interestingly enough, many faiths and traditions actually say that the gifts from the wise men or the magi are where gift-giving originated from. And so what we know about these wise men or magi is actually very little. What we do know is based on tradition, not very reliable tradition at that. So have you heard of the 12 days of Christmas? All right, all right, so we didn't have quite the budget for 12 days of Christmas, so we're doing the top five Magi trivia. (sighs) So kids, if you're like, oh, does this guy always have to talk so long? Hey, you can play along. So number five, the answers are true, false, or gosh, I don't know, unsure. So if you wanna be safe, you can always just go with maybe, just kidding. So true, false, or unsure. So number five, the Magi were kings. Anybody wanna? False, they were not kings. Nope, they weren't. Now, number four, the Magi were firemen. Well, only if you're from the South, because my mama says that three wise men came from afar. So, huh, see, I told you it wasn't gonna be a dud. Number three, the wise men were men. Probably true. They, I mean, they didn't ask for directions. They gave really expensive, impractical gifts. <laughs> right? The baby's cold. Here's some gold. But, um, so probably men. Uh, number two, the wise men were Jewish. Oh, false. They came from far away. They didn't know the Jewish scriptures. There's a good chance that they weren't Jewish. And number one, there were three magi. What a conundrum. 
Well, there's at least two because magi is, you know, plural, but we do not know if there were actually three magi. We only know the bonus question. There were three gifts, right? The magi offered three gifts. See, I kind of led you on that one, but I wanted you to get it right. True. Yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, There you go. There's our top five Magi trivia, and uh, sorry you didn't get the 12 days of Christmas, but in all seriousness, God's word does describe these events, as told by Matthew, of how the Christ child came to be. So would you hear God's word today? Matthew 2 says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked Where's the one who is going to be born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And when he had called together the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Isn't it interesting? They knew right away. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then King Herod secretly called the Magi and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child so that I may go when you find him so that I may go too and worship him. And after they had heard the king, They went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. And they were overjoyed when it stopped over the the place where the child was. And when they came, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And when they came to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I think the wise men do give us wisdom about the why and the how of gift giving, but they're actually not the first gift givers. If you want to go back, you got to go way, way, way back to the first family, to Adam and Eve's two sons. They are actually the first ones in the scriptures that give gifts. It's in Genesis 4, and it goes like this. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits from the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So we have two brothers, two gifts, and two responses. And maybe you experience this at Christmas when you give the right gift or you give the wrong gift. People get angry or they get happy. But these brothers are from the same family. They both give offerings. The word in Hebrew is minkah, and it means gift or tribute or present or offering. So they both give the same kinds of gifts with one little catch, and they both give these gifts to the Lord. See, even though... Cain and Abel did not grow up in the Garden of Eden, meaning they did not grow up in in the land that was as God created and intended it to be. They knew that somehow, because God was creator, 
because they had cultivated some things from the earth, be it fruit or animals, that this creator God was deserving or worthy of some gratitude. And so they present these offerings to the Lord. It was like part of who they were, even though they'd never been part of the way it always was. And I think that's actually kind of like the season we're in. Think about how generous people are at this time of year. Think about how kind or much more kind people are at this time of year. Think about how much is given to charity in December and how people truly give gifts to one another. Something in this time of the year brings out the generosity or the best in people. It's like it's wired into us. And I would say that that the season we're in now and these gifts that the brothers bring is a sign of that. However, there's just this one little difference in the gifts that they give that provoke two pretty big responses, favor from God or not favor from God. We see the older brother give some fruit of the land. We don't know if that fruit is good or bad fruit. We don't know if it's the first or last fruit. We just know that it's some fruit that he brings before the Lord. It's the second brother that brings the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. Now, if you're a vegetarian, I have to apologize in advance because the best way to describe the fat portions is to think of a steak, like a thick, juicy steak, but not just any steak, the creme de la creme of the cuts, the filet mignon, you know, the part of the beef tenderloin that is just so thick and juicy. And, I mean, it is, it is the most desirable piece and also the most expensive piece. But that is what fat portion refers to. It refers to the choicest, the finest, and the best. Now, the firstborn is a little bit easier than the fat portions. The firstborn simply means that which is first. If it's fruit, it's the fruit that ripens first. If it's grain, it's the grain that grows to maturity first. And if it's animals, it's the first of the litter or the first of the flock that come out. When people go and choose a breed of dog, they want a purebred dog, they always ask, is this the alpha male or is this the alpha female? They want to know the one who is dominant, the one who is first. Nobody pays top dollar for the runt of the litter, usually. It's the same idea with the firstborn. It's the first and the best. And maybe that's why God accepts Abel's present, but doesn't accept Cain's present. Because Abel somehow intrinsically understands that the first and the best always belongs to God. Now, maybe you disagree, but it takes faith to offer the first and the best to God. Because what if, you know, the, the, the flock, the sheep that, that Abel offers, what if he doesn't have better sheep? What if he doesn't have sheep that come along? What if the family that he'll someday have, you know, they don't have enough and now he's given up the best of the best? What if he goes to the market and he doesn't get top dollar for these, these second-hand sheep? It takes faith to give the first and the best to God. And the writer of Luke inserts this little tiny clue for us. When he tells the story of Jesus being born, he says, Mary and Joseph went there to Bethlehem and the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary knew 
that Jesus was her firstborn. She saw it, she designated it, and she gave it. When they came to the temple, they dedicated Jesus as their firstborn. They made that choice to redeem that child because they understood what it says over and over and over and over in the Bible. The best and the first always belong to God. Jesus is their firstborn. They give him back to God, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives his life way more for Mary and Joseph. But again, it takes faith. I would say even more, there's something life-changing when you give your first and your best to God. In fact, Hebrews says that by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. It was by faith that he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he died. He still speaks that this first and best idea belonged to God. And again, I think these first and best gifts, when they're offered, can change your life. I know they did for me, and it was just with something that you might find silly, but I was a young boy and we were invited over to a friend's house. We didn't know these friends very well, so they had dinner with us. And after dinner, the reason I remember I was about five or six years old is that my sister was too scared to go down into the deep, dark basement that they said we could go play in. Their boys were a little older and so they brought us downstairs and, and the dad said, why don't you take out their, you know, the collection of matchbox cars? And five or six that, you know, you're, I'm, I was like, okay, collection. Collection didn't even describe this. They just took box after box down. They had fast cars and race cars and rescue cars and police cars, old time cars, new cars, boats that went around. I mean, it was, it was heaven in my five or six year old mind. And I'm, I'm playing, I don't know how long I'm down there, but it came time for us to go home and the dad walked downstairs and you know, told us it was time to go home and he could not miss the delight on my face. And so he kind of looked at me and he said, well, Robbie, did you have a favorite car? And I'm like, these. And I put my, <laughs> I put my little arms around about a dozen cars and the dad just smiled at me and he's like, why don't you pick one out of those cars that you can take home? And I could see one of the, one of the brothers of these boys was like, dad, and, and, I'm like, really? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, you can take it home. And so I placed each of these cars in a row and I looked them over and back and over and back. And then I said, I'd really like this one. And I pulled up this red and white with the blue hatchback Ferrari, or no, Porsche Carrera race car. It had real rubber on the wheels. It had a little race car driver that was behind the seat with windows and rear view mirrors and the back flipped open and revealed this amazing engine. It was the most beautiful little car I'd ever seen. And the brother was like, not that one, that's our favorite one. Let him have two or three others, just not that one. And I quickly said, oh, sorry, sorry, I'll give it back. And the dad says, no, no. You can have that one. Now, I am convinced that this guy does not remember it, that the brothers maybe remember it, and he probably bought them another car. But I loved that car, and I played with that car forever. In fact, though it was over 30 years ago, I still have that car. There's the engine. And the reason I have this car is because of what it represents. 
it was the first time in my memory and in my mind that someone other than my parents said I was special, said I was deserving, said I was loved because they let me have their first and their best. See, friends, when you give the first and the best, you understand that truth, that it belongs to God, that it all belongs to God, and when, he, when you give it, he gives it back tenfold. And we're not talking about money. We could talk about money. We could talk about time. We could talk about anything. But ultimately, God does this by giving his first and best to us, his son. God, in his infinite love, came down from heaven and gives us his first and his best. And we returned the favor by killing him. And he raised him to life to prove to once and for all the glorious riches of his grace, it says in Ephesians. If we would accept the presence that he offers. See, the craziest part about the whole deal is that God gives his presence to Abel, which we get, right? Abel gives the first and the best to God and God gives him his presence. But here's the part that's crazy. Cain does not give the first and the best and God gives him his presence, He comes to him and says, you know, do what is right. I can see your anger. And Cain goes off and whines and he pouts and he ends up, God comes back to him and says, watch out. And he he goes and he kills his brother and God comes back to him again, time after time, regardless of the older brother's response, the one we would say, you don't deserve that. God offers his presence to the ones who least deserve it. Maybe you're here today wondering if God could ever, ever truly love you, if he would ever give the perfect race car, if he would ever give the first and the best of him to you. And the simple fact is, it says over and over and over in the Bible that he does. Whether it's Cain or Abel or Mary or Joseph or shepherds or wise men or you or me. God loves you so much that he sent his first, his best, his one and only. Will you receive his presence today? In a moment, we're gonna pray. In a moment, we're gonna receive offering. But your presence to him could be a lot of different things. But the first I'd like you to consider is that he gave his whole self for you And what would it look like for you to give your whole self to him? It might mean that you trust him. It might mean that you invite him into your daily decisions. It might mean that that person at work that's driving you crazy is given a little bit of love, a little bit of generosity. It might mean that homeless person that you pass on the way to work could be given warm socks. God bless you even a happy meal. It could also mean that God, you give God your time. That you come back in January and you hear about this series that we're starting called Beyond, about living beyond comparison and beyond hardships and beyond our stuff and beyond ourselves and see what it would look like to interact with God every day. And it might mean that you give God your money. 
that thing that you hold on to, that thing that says, this is what gives me status, what gives me provision, what gives me health, but it really doesn't give health, it doesn't give life, it doesn't give love. How do you want to receive God today? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for sending your first and your best. And you didn't wrap him in a fancy clothes. You didn't wrap him in this beautiful figure. In fact, scripture says that he was nothing miraculous to look at. Just an ordinary person. And yet the love that he gave the life that he gave, the invitation that he gave to love the lonely and to love the last and to love those who are lost is amazing, God. And if I'm honest, I'm way more like Cain than I'm like Abel. I too often bring some of what I cultivate, but I don't give you my first and my best. I thank you for the grace that you give that that even though we don't deserve it, you continue to pour out your love to us. And I pray, God, that we would receive your love today, that if we have never said yes to you, we would say thank you, Jesus, for sending yourself, for giving your life, for sending your love, for sharing your love, for showing and demonstrating what it means to live in God's kingdom. I receive that kingdom today. I pray, God, that we would receive your kingdom today. If you prayed that prayer, there's a card in your worship folder that you can just check a little box that says, I've, I've dedicated my life to God. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to come back and, and hear what it means to live with God every day. And finally, as the ushers prepare to come forward, I invite you to think about what it means to give, not, not because we need your money. God owns everything. And you're invited to participate and there's no pressure to participate. Sometimes this is a way that we say, God, I trust you. And I love you. We pray, God, that we would know the wonder, the miracle the unimaginable and the great love that you have for us and that we'd receive it and share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to say that if you are still unsure that God loves you, he absolutely is crazy about you. He loves you so much that, that he had angels sent on that very first Christmas to say glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace with those whom God is peace. The peace that he was talking about is this wholeness, it's this faithfulness, it's this prosperity, it's this goodness. It's not just the absence of getting through, like it's not just getting through Christmas without fighting peace. It's that we're good with one another. That before you go and before we sing the last song that you think about the fact that God loves you and he shares that love with you. You can share that love with him and you can share that with one another, no matter what the circumstances you're experiencing. That first Christmas wasn't filled with peace. It was filled with the Roman occupation and a murderous threat, and things were not going well. And if things have not gone well in your year, God still says, peace with those whom he's pleased. And he's pleased 
with you and you and you. May you know his love. If you're not sure, please come back to the Christmas tree. Pray with us. If I don't get to say goodbye to you, I hope you have a Merry Christmas.